0: Welcome to Meet the Actor at Apple Soho in New York.
1: Please welcome this evening's moderator, Joe McGovern from Entertainment Weekly. Thank you. Welcome everybody, we're gonna uh, watch the trailer first and then um, we're gonna bring out these three actors. Let's start with the trailer for Split.
2: the wrong car you've emailed for an appointment two days in a row tell me what's going on I've never seen a case like this before 23 identities live in Kevin's body did something happen
0: There's a flower on the pillows, a flower in the bathroom, like we're important. Who is that? Maybe she can help us. We're here! Why are
3: here? Don't worry. He knows what you're here for. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows that. Mm-mm. My name's Hedwig. I have red socks.
0: How old are you?
3: Nine?
2: The human brain is the most complex object in the universe.
0: The only way we're getting out of here
3: is if one of them decides
0: to let us out.
3: Aren't you the clever one?
0: Hedrick, could you help us?
3: Okay. I have a window in my room. Maybe you could show us. That's here! Now it's closed. Now it's open. Did you think it was a real window? So you could leave?
2: An individual with multiple personalities can change their body chemistry with their thoughts.
3: Someone's coming for you. What will happen when he unlocks the potential of his brain?
2: There is no limit to what he can become.
3: Tonight is a sacred night. You will be in the presence of something greater. The world will understand now. The beast. Is real. He's done awful things to people, and he'll do awful things to you.
1: Please welcome the stars Betty Buckley and Taylor Joy and the star of the film, James McAvoy. Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to Hi. Apple Store. Um, so, lots to talk about with this film. Lots also we, that we can't talk about. There's a, it's, it is it is a M Night Shyamalan movie in the classic tradition. There's lots of twists and surprises, especially towards the end. But uh, James, you could probably start just by, I guess, sort of an easy but a not-so-easy question is, what is your character's
3: name? The many characters that I play all have individual names, and there is no one, there is no, some people say, what was it like playing this character? And, there was no one character. I had to portray nine different people, so I did my job nine times instead of one times. And, and uh, So there's Kevin, and there's Dennis, and there's Patricia, and there's Hedwig, and there's Barry, and there's uh, Orwell, Jade, and there's the guy at the end who's a little bit weird. right? Because none of the rest of them are. Uh, the way I understand it is
1: that you met um, Night Shyamalan I think about two years ago at Comic-Con. Uh, yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, you were there, both there promoting different projects, and um, I think that what, what I've heard him say is that he conceived of the character having lots of wigs and makeup and different things, but you at the time had your head shaved for whatever you were... I had my head shaved for
3: playing Professor X in, in Apocalypse, yeah.
1: And when he saw you and started to think of you in this role, that changed in, in his mind the entire character. That your Your face, I think it's a compliment to you, could be... Just a sort of a, a, a slate, how which
3: everything could could play. Yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to use my face to paint on it like a canvas. That sounds really kinky. I think. <laughs> um, he, um, yeah, the way he says it is that he felt like he met an actor that was really open and uh, uh, free in that moment. How he knew that when I was out drinking, to be honest with you, I don't know. But um, but he also he was quite funny and he means it though. He says it's that this isn't just the right actor, this is the right haircut. Um, and it's nice, you know, you can, you can could do it with wigs, you could do it uh, with makeup, you could do it. We do use a little bit of makeup and a little bit of clothing, but there's something about not just handing an easy pass to the audience to go, you can have a bit of mystery in a moment of acting where the audience is thinking, what is happening now, what is going on? Oh, it's shattered because you put on a wig and he's a woman. All right, no more mystery, no more storytelling. But by just the simple thing of not really resorting to that little bit of, I don't know, labeling, we extend the intrigue for the audience. It's as simple as that, really. And also it means that I have to do more acting, and the more acting an actor gets to do, the better, I say. Yeah. Um, And Anna, you play one of the um, sort of
1: victims of of his uh, psychosis or his disorder. She's. We find out later about her is that she's also sort of an outsider in in, in a way similar but not the same obviously to the way that he is. Um, how did you approach that as a as an actor coming at that? Because you're you're playing both her the the trauma of her situation being stuck in this room, but also the backstory that she that her character has. How did that? What were the challenges inherent in that for you as a performer?
0: Um, I guess I just approached it like any other character I mean everyone's got something that's you know informing the way that they act you know she just happens to have something that unfortunately is terrible and no one should ever have to experience Um, I spent a lot of time in her head just kind of thinking about the way that she looks at the world and you know how every movement that she makes is so deliberate you know she always she kind of like takes in a scene and then decides to act rather than acting on impulse which is very different from me Um, but yeah I just spent time in her head and just kind of Got to know her a little bit, and that made it easier to slip on the skin and go to work every day.
1: So these, these, uh, particularly this one room that you're stuck in, um, looked pretty small, at least the way it appears in the film. Mm-hmm. Was it a set, or was it an actual location?
0: No, Knight, um, night built it.
1: Yeah, it was a in, set. in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, uh, which is where the film takes place, which I think all of his films take place, actually, most of them, um, apart from After Earth. Right. and uh,
3: <laughs> Somewhere else. Which happens out of space I and then back on Earth. But you never know, maybe like 5,000 years in the future, he was still shooting in Philadelphia, PA. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like, there's like big monsters and stuff. And they're like, yo, I'm a Philly monster. Um, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but really, Knight should answer that question. Yeah. He might not want to actually talk
1: about that. Um, but uh, what was that like, though? I mean, were it just seems there's something squalid and something creepy about the about this this underground world that this windowless world. Was it easier to perform the the scenes of distress in a in a, on a set like that?
0: I mean, I guess. Um I was I, I was kind of prepared for it because the movie I just come off of was Morgan, and I spent so much time behind the sheet of glass, and I was completely by myself. And I'm a very affectionate person, so I don't deal very well, kind of just being by myself in a cage. Um, so I actually really enjoyed being in that little room because as much as it was like could get hot sometimes and it was a bit uncomfortable, you had all the crew there, and you know the girls were there, and James was there, and so you felt you're just kind of all hanging out. It's sort of like a party environment, but a really unhappy party <laughs> environment. Yeah. But uh, no, the, the set was great. Um, yeah, it definitely lends something to the movie, I think, when you see that the, the set decorations were amazing.
3: Yeah, nice. very, he wants to make his films very claustrophobic, I think. And- uh, and a lot of the tension comes out of that, and the set was like that, it resembled that a lot. He tried to, you can fly walls, you can take walls out, and he wanted, I think, to keep them as closed in as possible, yeah. even when he could make it more comfortable, you know, um, and keep it just the actors as much as possible. Of course, camera crew, of course, sound people, but no more than necessary every time. I and mean, he's he's very focused and intimate with these actors, and, uh, and I think that was all part of it, keeping that small space and keeping it sacred, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, Betty, you've, you're the only one, I think, here who's worked with him before.
2: Is that, is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You were, you were yep. happening
1: about, about ten years ago or uh, nine years ago. Eight years ago. Let's <laughs> um, so make eight me eight older than I am. No, no, no. You're really, you're really good in that, too. Um, <laughs> Thanks. I've heard you say that you kind of like you like a director with a little bit of mischief in his...
2: Yeah, he's Fine. very mischievous, and so is James, and so is Anya. And is it Anya or Anya? Anya, yeah. I've been calling you Anya for months. It's okay. So <laughs> it's Anya, okay. I stand corrected. But I like Anya. It's like, <laughs> what's sexier? Yeah, Anya. Anya <laughs> sounds a little Russian, you know. It's like, um, what were we talking about? So what? So what is it?
1: I mean, what is it about him that that just uh, Oh, he's
2: a mischief maker. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Well, so are all of us. And um, so there was a lot of teasing um, on set between takes and a lot of, yeah, I like that. I'm from Texas and we always like to bust each other in Texas, you know, so, um, yeah. And this being my second movie with uh, Knight, I... I felt, you know, that I had permission to go ahead and be myself, and he encouraged encouraged that. And James is incredible, and you know, most of my stuff was with him. And
1: yeah, we're actually going to go to a clip of the two of you together, and, and just to um, be clear that you're that you play well. Tell, tell me who you play.
2: Well, I play James's psychologist, uh, the character Kevin Wendell Crumb, who is a million other people too. I, I'm his psychologist, and I've helped him come a ways. So that he's functional in the world, and he's held down a job for a number of years, and everything seems to be going swimmingly, and then suddenly it seems that we're careening to a crisis, and I'm not sure what it is, but I'm trying to get him to tell me what's going on, and that's my, and I'm also kind of the narrator of the movie, so to speak, for the audience to understand. Explain for the a lot of us. D.I.D. Yeah,
1: associative. Uh, Identity disorder. disorder.
2: Yeah, I just want to say what you were talking about the set a while ago. Our beautiful set designer, um, production designer M- Mara, had uh, also designed True Detective. And the the I saw the movie for the second time. Um, these guys have seen it a bunch more, but I I saw it last night for the second time. And the the layers of the design and what all you can I I was so I loved it the first time I saw it but I loved it even more last night because there's so much to perceive that goes by so quickly in the many layers in the design of who all the people are that reside um, in James's character it was so luscious I mean apart from it being just this wonderful story every aspect of the design in the movie itself is really great
1: He's one of the best visualists, I think, uh, in movies. This this
2: girl, Mara, is just a genius, you know, just amazing.
1: Let's go watch the clip, and then we'll talk about it afterwards.
2: To whom am I speaking with now?
1: Uh, Dr. Fletcher, it's Barry.
2: It doesn't seem like Barry. Barry is an extroverted leader. Yes, I am. I'm going to take a professional guess based on the description of all 23 identities that live in Kevin's body that I've gotten from Barry. I think I'm talking to Dennis. I'm encouraged we can finally meet. And I've guessed this because you've adjusted the chocolate dish twice since you came in here, and I understand you have OCD.
3: (laughs) Oh, I see, now I see, that's clever. That's clever, but I'm, I'm, I'm not Dennis.
2: And you and Patricia have been banned from the light for quite a while now, primarily, shall we say, because of your beliefs.
3: Patricia and Dennis are very unstable, I'm not Dennis.
2: Have you both taken charge now?
3: Please believe me, I'm Barry.
1: uh it's almost like because you both have uh, like i think all three of you probably have had experience um on the stage uh. not one. me
0: i not wish you. i'm desperate to do it but these two guys yeah. are killer
1: and Shyamalan loves that yeah. i mean he he loves casting theater actors does it in almost every one of his movies that's like a a, a two-hander it, that's that's, yeah. a, that, that's a that that's a that's a that's a scene out of a play, you know. All
2: the all the scenes between James and I are, were so much fun to shoot because he sets it up like a little. It could take place in theater. It's like a theatrical scene, and it just leaves us to play the scene and you know be very spontaneous moment to moment. And it was so fun.
3: I find it quite interesting actually. The what what people define as theatrical as opposed to. Um what I would see is theatrical nowadays and and um, I would say that what movies are to me is intimate up close, personal, revealing into the very soul of somebody through their eyes in the close up right um that to me is a movie. Theatrical for me in a movie is is a musical, hoofing, you know, tits and teeth. Do you know what I mean? That's like, the, you know, the reductive version of You didn't think we were tits theatrical. and teeth? No, no, I no. Because really I was strange, really trying for you that. You were really yeah. tits and teeth, baby. Um, but it seems where we are in movies at the moment. Movies are so, they're the CGI equivalent of tits and teeth and high kicking that we look at a scene between two actors just talking to each other and we call that theatrical. I would say that is really filmic and intimate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so rare nowadays to have a movie in which people talk to each other for more than a page of dialogue that lasts right. over a minute that we now see that as something theatrical. And I think, actually, it's pure cinema. Yeah, yeah. Well, what is it like? Um... said
0: Good one. Oh, sad. Good one.
2: You know, I can't wait going to write a
3: book one day, guys?
2: I want... <laughs> After listening to you in these series of interviews that I've had so much fun doing with you guys I want to see you direct when are you going to direct a film you'd oh. be amazing oh. and I want you to hire me yeah I will
3: I will no, uh, I would love to direct You're but I'm going to wait until me. I think I'd wait until my kid is, is grown up because it's just you know it's, it's a lot isn't it yeah, yeah. It's another baby. and acting's a laugh acting's fun and you get to walk away and if it sucks it's kind of not your fault
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> true
2: not your fault. <laughs> Where does
3: uh what what is Shyamalan like
1: for you compared to all the you work with so many great directors? Um, what's different about him
3: or what's special about him? He's he's the he's one of the few directors. He's not the only one, but he's one of the few directors and he's the only writer director that I've worked with who is um, pretty much 90 percent stuck to the the writing he doesn't really want you to improvise he doesn't really want you to mess with the dialogue that he's written don't get me wrong if something's not working he is open to inspiration in the moment and if something amazing just happens he'll take it but instead of you know quite a lot of sets i find even with writer directors they're not only happy for you to improvise but sometimes they're egging you on to do so um And and people are coming into the the script then every single day, kind of going like, how can we make this better? And that's a great thing. It really is, you can make some great stuff. But with Night, it's much more like a play where you go, let's just assume that the words are set and that there's nothing wrong with them. Let's see how well we can execute them instead of trying to figure out how well we can execute something that we're making up on the spot, Mm -hmm. which may or may not be genius. And we'll have to edit in or out at a later date. Let's try and make this work. Um, So he's very, He's very wedded to his original vision, and he's got. I feel that he's got the technical capability to actually realize that vision and execute it, which again, a lot of people can do that via committee and using the skills of the technicians around them, but Knight has that artistic sensibility wedded to his technical ability that I think really enables him to have a vision and then realize it. And one of the things that he's actually very proud of talking about is that he, he, I don't know if he's always done this in his career, but
1: does it now, he shoots for about whatever the schedule is, then takes a little bit of a break to go and look at all the footage and, and put it together in a very rough form, and then has the actors come back for, three, for th- three or four He builds into his budget,
2: days. reshoot time, because he knows he's gonna need that. And That's very smart.
1: Because yeah. he said it, a lot of it is just fine tuning and like fixing little mistakes that maybe the audience wouldn't even notice, but he maybe now they would they're looking but at everything. But
3: even within the bulk of the original main shoot as well, he he will move at a pace that allows him. He'll move at a pace which is pretty quick at times. Because he knows that he'll come up against scenes where he hasn't got it, and yeah. you know most directors would move on, ninety percent happy with the scene. Let's move on, whatever. But he's working at such a good pace that when he gets to that scene, a big important scene, and he's ninety-five percent happy, he can still come back the next day and reshoot the whole thing and really? be a hundred percent happy. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which we did a couple of times. In fact, one scene, Betty and I had to do, I think, three times. You know, on three different what separate scene? occasions. Uh, it was the scene where. Very uh, studio. Yes, Barry yeah. Studio. Yeah. Yeah, copy back to, to that. Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, that one. And then, and then we had to do a oh scene once. Yeah, yeah, I had it. to play all the characters that I do in one go. It's and like a
0: six-minute-long take, man.
3: Yeah, no, it was a lot. But uh, I it's kind of built. Awesome. It up. I built it up as if Thanks. it was gonna be the hardest scene of my career. So of course, it became the hardest scene of my career. <laughs> and then when we came back and shot it again, I'd broken my hand and I was over it, and uh, and I was over the scene, and so it just worked really well. So it's like, it's a lesson about relaxation and- Once, and you, you, once you let it go. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like what you say in the movie, we say whatever we think we are, we are. You know, if you build it into the biggest moment of your life, it'll be the biggest moment of your life, and it'll probably be a nightmare, you know? Well, let's but look. let's
2: face it, that scene is one of the hardest things I've ever seen any actor yeah. Yeah. do on film, and when I was so happy to be there on the times that he shot, both that and the reshoot. it's like um, when he finished in night called cut," and it's this one long take where he becomes one character to the next and the next and the next and in, in a millisecond, you know, it's amazing the whole place burst into applause both times oh, yeah. you know, there is a bravo you know but it's it's really one of the most sensational pieces of uh, film acting i've ever seen or any kind of acting i've ever seen by any actor anywhere i'm a huge james mcavoy fan As in case i didn't know that <laughs>
3: thank you guys Thank you You guys haven't even seen the movie yet you're gonna watch it like what the sucks what is
2: she talking
1: <laughs> and doing the whole thing with an american accent by the way, too. Like, even when
3: you're, I Different mean, there's... American actors. Exactly, X, several. that's an added layer. I it it's deeply impressive. Um, you, was there, <laughs> no, I, I, was, do, I use English. I do use English, actually, yeah, at one point, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah. I wanted one of the characters to be Indian. Um, <laughs> I did. And, um, and the director, who is Indian himself, he was like, yeah, great, hit me, show me. And I got about 20 seconds in, and he was like, I'm going to shut this down right now. <laughs> like okay so I'm never gonna do Indian I'm afraid sorry alright well let's let's
1: watch one of the scenes with uh, I think this is you playing someone named Patricia yeah. or well mm. someone
3: who thinks she's Patricia oh no, she is Patricia she is she, is. she is she doesn't think she definitely is she a is, I think she, no, is. She, she is no she is a different right. person for her it, that's what she is no no not just for her for everybody she's a different person she shares she's plural she lives plurally with other people within one body but she is a different person she doesn't just think she is she is a different she person. is she, she is, is. I, I believe you.
1: Is in
0: that room? We're here! Help us! We're in here! What is this? How many
3: are there? No, 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 no. Don't go in there. Don't go in there. Don't worry. Listens to me. <sighs> He's not well. He knows what you're here for. He's not allowed to touch you. He knows that. Mm-mm. Hmm. I want to get like a Mew Mew campaign out of that or like a kind of a <laughs> Chanel campaign. I think you definitely or... could, babe. At least Zara.
0: Cool. <laughs> uh,
3: Anya, when
1: you were on the set, were you aware that, that this was going to uh, tickle the funny bone? Like, I mean, that though the situation is so grim, what, what your character is going through, that audiences were going to respond the way that this one and all of us did. They were gonna laugh at just how ludicrous some of this was. Were you able to get that tone
0: I mean, I think when you're on I, I was aware that James is very funny because he's brilliant, he's hilarious, but um I think when you're actually acting it, you're seeing it from the point of view of the character yeah, right. but um, the first time I saw the movie, I was definitely really pleasantly surprised at how funny it was i, I mean i i really laughed. I had a great time. It's a very entertaining piece of you know film piece of film sort of thing I don't know yeah. um yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, so uh, it, that was really fun. And actually, I screened it for some of my family back in Argentina and no one wanted to laugh because I think they were afraid right. that I would be offended. And I was like, no, it's funny. You can. It's okay. But um, yeah, no, I, I love how funny the film is.
3: Your family can quite often be the worst audience you have. Oh, they're I terrifying. Think. Yeah, because they're like, oh, no, you were good in that. But I could tell you weren't telling the truth. And oh, and I heard your accent. Oh, I saw, you
0: I saw your, I know that face. And you're just like, oh, I'm I think, acting.
3: I, th- I think one of the important things was that um, we, were, Knight was trying to make a film that wasn't just wasn't just a scary movie, wasn't just a movie about uh, a guy with a mental health disorder or two people who suffer trauma. The film is really about two people that suffer trauma in loneliness and victimhood, and uh, victim response. That's what the film is really about. Yeah. You can go about that in a socially real, gritty way, and you can just be sober and sad the whole time and be like, "That's oh, a shame," and it becomes like pity porn, you yeah. know. Or you can go. We're going to make an entertaining film as well. That is sad. It does make you feel sympathy and empathy for pretty much everyone in the film, not just the victims of the abduction, but even the people I play. Oh, totally. Um, But at the same time, we're allowed to entertain and we're allowed to be funny. And just because you have a mental health issue doesn't mean you're not. That means you're not allowed to be in an entertaining film. I think that's pretty weird.
1: Well, and also, he's always touched upon parents and children as a, as, as a theme, the, uh, the um, affection and also the, so, some of the um, dysfunction between parents and children, all the way back to the sixth sense. I think your character is great because uh, we do learn both of their characters' sort of backstories as it relates to their parents, but you're very maternal. Um, yeah. In your scenes, uh,
2: she had you. a backstory too that was kind of interesting, but it all got cut. I kind of thought it would while we were shooting it. I, I was ri- the whole time. It was with um, uh, she had a colleague who was played by this wonderful actor named Sterling Brown, who just won um, the The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Yeah, yeah, he's brilliant. He played, oh, yeah, he's and he's amazing in this guy. TV show, This Is Us now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a, this. Um, It kept i was i was uh, trying to figure out why this story i mean i felt i understood why knight wanted to give dr fletcher more give the audience more information about dr fletcher's singular commitment to her patients and uh who she was as a human being i thought that was very sweet but i also felt it might interfere with the narrative so when knight called me to tell me it was gone i was yeah, it makes sense.
1: Yeah, I think as it stands now the movie is under 2 hours but it is his longest film in his career and I asked him why and he said because there's just too many characters.
2: Yeah. He had a lot he had a lot to reveal about everybody and,
3: and the original cut was 3 hours long and he showed it to everybody that works at Blinding Edge Pictures and um he said so what do you think guys you know what do you think of the movie it's pretty great right? And everybody at Blinding Edge said, well, yeah, you probably yeah, it's great, but you probably need to lose, like, 30 minutes. And to this day, he's still angry with them. <laughs> Even though he then went on to lose an hour, willingly, and feels that the movie is ten times better because he lost an hour, yeah. he's so pissed at everybody at <laughs> Blinding Edge for saying that one in every six minutes had to be lost, <laughs> as he put it. I'm quoting him here, by the way. <laughs> and yeah. he's told this story anyway, so I'm not talking at the school. But um, he's still kind of pissed about it. <laughs>
1: We're going to watch the last clip of, uh, I think it's James playing um, Hedwig, another character But these guys. Are, are you familiar you. with? Um, and then we're going to go to the, turn it over to the audience to ask some questions. So last clip. You
3: can listen to people talking and they don't even know you're listening.
0: What does this talk to?
3: Don't touch that. I just want to see if it works. Hey. Hey, what are you doing? Don't touch those buttons. You're gonna get us found yeah, out. Yeah, gonna...
1: <laughs> What up? What up? Hello? Slap you! What is this? Hello.
0: Hello. Hello, my name is Casey Cook. I'm being held in a basement. I've been abducted with two other girls. Ooh.
3: What
0: the
3: hell is this? He's a really cute character. He's a really sweet Just guy, so you actually. Know. He's yeah, Hedwig's a, a s- little it's babe. Nice, it's, it's not always, always like that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Alright, so who who has a question out here? Um, I have a question to James. Um, was it difficult for you to play such uh, unique different characters such as Patricia and Hedwig uh, when they're so different from you?
3: Um, yeah, it, it was, it was pretty difficult at times, um, finding them. And then in execution, it's just about getting more and more comfortable with them each time you, you pretend to be those people, you know? Uh, but to be honest with you, my entire career has been filled with playing people that are pretty wildly different from myself. So I didn't feel on, diff- on difficult grounds as per se any more than, than, than usual, except for the fact that I had to do it nine times instead of one time, you know? Um... But yeah, I'm used to that and I like it. I like playing people that are very different from myself. I personally believe, though, there is no becoming a different act, a different character. You don't become the character, for me. Other actors do and that's great. But for me, this is all I've got is this. So how can I become anything else? I'll give you all of it, but it's all I've got. Um, and it's more about letting the character in. It's more about letting the story in. It's more about letting the story flow through you. And if you're telling the story right, then you'll, f- you'll be the right character, you know? But it's still just me. Even though they're wildly different, it's all me. Quick question for James. Um, out of the 23 characters that you play, which one of them was the one that posed the most challenging, uh, which one was the most challenging for you to, to play? Uh, There's a there's a character that comes in at the end who's who's he represents the moment that the film steps away from uh, reality if you like and goes into the realms firmly of fantasy and speculation and you know imagination. Uh, That character became difficult pretty much for that reason, but also because he I couldn't figure out why he was born. if you like, Kevin, the source personality, was born because, like all of us here, our parents had sex. Uh, but the other nine characters, or the other eight characters that I played, they're not actually born because their parents had sex. They were born be- as a as a response to a specific kind of abuse that happened to Kevin. And instead of a personality trait being utilised by Kevin to help him through that situation, that personality trait was personified. And... Um, and for most of the characters i could pinpoint exactly what character trait it was that became their their prime mover if you like and of course they became three dimensional people with interests that away away from that uh, that roamed away from that but they had a prime purpose they had a function to perform and that's the reason that they were born uh, and for the character that came at the end i found it quite difficult to pinpoint what that was and strangely it was it was very obvious but it was so obvious and so strange weirdly perverse in a, in a movie like this when you're talking about maybe a monster um, which this character you could arguably say is at the end which I don't say he is um, because he's the happiest character I play. His job is to joyfully represent the people that live within that body and in fact anybody who suffered trauma or has been a victim in their lives. He's there to be their advocate and to be their avenging angel slash demon, you know? And, um, but as soon as I arrived at the fact that he was there as their sort of weirdly supernatural cheerleader, that was, I was like, ah, now I get it. But until that point, he was a nightmare to find in play.
2: Uh, First, I want to thank you. Thank you all of you for coming to New York for making such a good film. And my question is for James, and I've watched all your films and I love all of them, it's just simply amazing. And uh, my question is, is there any personality that you can imagine, but not in film, that you wanted to play?
3: Any personality not in Not in this not film. All oh, right, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah. Uh, I always find it very difficult when people say, like, what is your dream role yeah. or what do you want to do next? I truly don't have a clue. One of the things that I enjoy about being an actor is that you're a wandering minstrel and you're a gun for hire. You know what I mean? Um, I don't want to be one of those producing actors necessarily. I want to be a gun for hire because I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. I don't actually have a job to go to at the moment. And... Wait, no, you
2: aren't you doing that Vim
3: Vendors movie? No, I did that. Oh, I'm done. I, can't I haven't wait worked to since see August. That. Oh, yeah, God. I've just been at home looking after my kids since August and I don't know what's coming in next. And <laughs> I'm reading stuff and I'm like, no, that's not for me, but the next one might be and right. who knows what it's gonna be And that's what I love about it is the um, the anarchy of it married to the discipline of it when you actually start to work on it, you know.
1: So I'd love to know what you guys talked about in trying to understand this phenomenon of the multiple personality disorder. Did you have any kind of conversation? Did you bring in one somebody that had a disorder, and could you, if you saw somebody,
3: would you know that they had it? Uh, uh, Any of you guys want to go? You actually.
2: I worked with a psychologist for a number of um, sessions before we started shooting. Uh, Knight also recommended two books about the disorder that uh, he gave you and me. So I read those, and then there was a third book. I personally have been fascinated by it since I was a preteen and saw the movie The Three Faces of Eve, which won Joanne Woodward the Oscar. I thought that was a brilliant performance, and I was so intrigued as a preteen that human beings could have such a creative response to abuse and torture and pain. I was just like, oh, my God, it's so complicated, so wonderful, you know. And, uh, of course, walked around as a preteen wondering if I had this disorder myself. And uh, then I was, thought the book Sybil was great, and then I was happy when I saw that movie, which starred Sally Fields. So um, yeah, but I worked with a psychologist on the script, and she had worked with DID patients, and she gave me a lot of information. Do
1: you think uh, you could recognize? Could, could you recognize somebody who had it
3: if you met them?
2: Uh, I'm not sure that I could. No, I, could you? Would you think so? I don't
3: know. I think if if they weren't um, if they weren't hiding, if they weren't um, trying to camouflage what they were going through at that time, or that they're. They they had swapped alter and someone else had taken control. But well, yeah, I think so. If they were open about it, um, I I actually start I actually researched um, this condition a while ago um, when I was pretty new to the business. I I nearly got a job that nearly got made. It was a. F- Film um, based on a book about a real guy called Billy Milligan, and the book was called *The Minds of Billy Milligan*. And so I was fascinated. That was one by of the it.
2: books I read.
3: Yeah, no, totally. And I was going to, I was going to make that film. I think when I was twenty-three or something. Um, and then it all fell through as things do in the acting business and that's and a famous
1: film that's been in development for a while with a lot of
3: different directors And a lot of different directors a lot of different actors the last person I think attached to it was DiCaprio I think yeah um, DiCaprio like I know him like yeah DiCaprio <laughs> yeah sorry A-O-G. Mr. DiCaprio um, well
1: there was a, it was a huge influence uh, when Shyamalan was a young man <clears throat> I think he was high school student he heard that James Cameron was going to make it all oh, right and that was his first burst of uh fascination and interest with this oh. subject matter so in a way this film is his
3: fulfilling in a way yeah. of, of wanting to see that movie yeah. when he was so young um the going into it for this film i i wanted i met with a couple of medical professionals which i found useful but to an extent only um, there was a lot of argument. There was one of them was arguing whether it even existed and that wasn't helpful for me. I had to come from the point of view that it did exist. Um, I couldn't get anybody who actually lives with the ID to talk to me, unfortunately. Um, the diaries I found exceptionally helpful. They were a real insight into the day-to-day workings of just how you get through your life, um, how, you, how you manage your budget, your weekly shopping budget when you're feeding people with different tastes, when you're clothing people with different tastes, when one person is spending a lot of money on Lego, and the community, the group, the plural community that live within one body, they need to feed themselves and the money's getting spent on Lego. Uh, Things like that, you know? Uh, Documentaries were helpful, but then I found that on YouTube, it was a, I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier, but I typed in DID to YouTube and uh, (laughs) a hundred million options of people vlogging, uh, people living with the ID. And it was the most empowering platform I found for people with the ID. Unlike uh, the diary entries that I found, where people were talking to themselves and talking to the different personalities that live within that body. It, on YouTube, they were talking to the world, projecting themselves to the world positively at times, quite often positively, actually, and saying we exist. We're here. These are my hopes and fears and dreams and desires. And by the way, this is her hopes and fears and dreams and desires, and this is his. And we all live in one body. Deal with it. And I found that really amazing in lieu of not being able to speak to somebody in person. You know? uh, can you all speak to the experience of watching yourselves? Uh, even on set, like, if they want to, you know, if they bring you over to watch playback or something, like, does it ever get easier? <laughs> Are you always hard on yourself? Is it awful always? I find it gets easier.
2: I get confused by it, you know, because I don't know what I look like in the world, thankfully. And uh, when I see myself on film, I'm like, the first time, I'm always like, what? You know, and, like, when I first saw the movie... I was kind of... And I didn't know that I'd been shot the whole movie with a wide-angle lens, which is not very flattering. And um, so that was a bit of a shock. But um, then when I saw it the second time, I was able to watch it with detachment and see the character more clearly and you know able to say yeah that's that's good. that's good you did that that's it was all right you know but no it's it's uncomfortable i find it uncomfortable but every now and then i see myself do something very tiny that probably nobody else n- even notices and i'm like oh that was good, little, good. little tiny tiny things you know and um that I I I think that's fun, you know, when i when I surprise myself, so to speak, you know. But yeah, it's always a shock.
1: And Anya, you'd have a very dark evening if you watched this back to back with The Witch,
0: um, <laughs>
2: which
1: we all know you from it's oh, thank mesmerizing.
0: You. <laughs> what Thanks. Do you, what do you oh. feel about seeing yourself on? Um, well, I think it was the first time I ever saw myself on screen was The Witch, and it was right before we saw it, um, We screened it at Sundance, and I I just kind of didn't talk for a while and cried for a really long time. So I was like, I'm a terrible actor. Um, I'm never gonna work again. Um, but uh, no, I, I've never really spent a lot of time looking in mirrors because I don't have to deal with my face, and I'm pretty happy that way. But uh, so kind of the the first time I see a film, it's almost the first time I'm meeting my character. So I'm like, Oh shit! That's Casey. That's that's interesting. Um, but at the same time, I uh, I hate whatever the girl on the screen is doing. I'm like, oh god, it's her again, and like I wish she'd get off screen. Like she's really annoying. But I don't really connect it to myself. I just don't like the way she acts. Kind of. <laughs> what
2: do you, What do you feel?
3: Um... I- it's mixed. I can watch myself and I can judge it analytically and I kind of appraise whether something's working or not. I don't like to typically, and Knight doesn't like us too typically. I don't he think he doesn't do playback, which he is cool. Yeah, unless there's a real problem. If there's a problem, it can be really useful. I find to go right. There's a problem. The director and I can't figure it out. Let's all right. Let's look at it, and you look at it, and you go like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing this shit, um, and then you can write it. But um, I the reason one of the reasons I don't like looking at myself is. Um, it's partly because you're vain and stuff, and you know, as you're getting older, you go like, "Oh, look, I'm getting greyer hair," or like, "Oh God, I'm, I drank too much that the night before that take." But, but really, the real kind of artistic reason is that I don't like to watch myself. Is like I've watched actors before who watch every single take, almost on playback, um, and great actors, you know, I'm not I'm not slagging them off. But then I've watched some big movie stars who've been around for a million years, and and it seems like they become. Uh, a version of themselves it's like they're yeah. playing a version of themselves and i can only imagine that that's because they've watched themselves so much that they look at what they're doing and they go like that's when i'm good that's when i'm good that's when i'm good and then that's all they do um and it's like they're doing their greatest hits of themselves every time they act um and and i i get afraid of looking at playback or even watching the movies that much because of that, because you lose the spontaneity, you become very self-aware. And I'm very technically aware as an actor. I'm very aware that I'm acting where my camera is, and I'm very aware that I'm telling a story to the audience at all times. But the freedom that you have in that can be undermined, I think, sometimes by going like, oh, I know that I don't look good if I yeah, show you too much of this side. So I play the camera like this all the time. Like, I've, there's people that do it. There's people that do it. So, yeah.
1: Well, listen, guys, I split is playing in New York tonight and opens officially tomorrow. Um, congratulations, I mean this is, people are gonna be talking a lot once the film gets out there and some of the uh, late revelations get you know spread around. So congratulations to all three of you on this, uh, this phenomenal Thank you. Project. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you guys,
0: thank you. Thank you guys.